Hey everybody, welcome back. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity, and it's also available on the Rebel Alliance Media Network. We've been really glad to be partnering with the Rebels, uh, standing shoulder to shoulder with them for the work of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus over every area of life. And there are some great resources for you and for your whole family uh, to help you understand and engage with culture from a biblical perspective. If you visit uh, EzraInstitute.ca and RebelAllianceMedia.com, there's content there. There's content there to keep you busy, you know, until the new moon or or even longer. So we're back this week on the podcast for Cultural Reformation with another reading from Gospel Culture. This is a book that uh, was written by Joe Boot that we're recording so that we can produce it as an audiobook version. And this episode of the podcast will bring you into the studio for a live reading, uh, complete with all of the coughs, all the mistakes, all of the commentary. And today, uh, the reading is from Chapter 2, The Death of Man and the Crisis of Social Order. And finally, before we get into it, today is October 18th, 2019. This is the last day of the Ezra Press Thanksgiving sale. Thanksgiving happens earlier up here in Canada. But uh, this this week has been our Ezra Press Thanksgiving sale. That ends tonight at midnight. If you go to EzraPress.ca, you can purchase Gospel Culture as well as all of our other titles and get 25% off your order. So that ends at midnight tonight. Don't dally. EzraPress.ca. All right, enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. It's me. Ryan Aris, back again with you. We're doing another reading of Joe Boot's book, Gospel Culture. This is the book here. Again, written by Joseph Boot. It's about uh, a theology of culture, what we, what we do and what we make with the raw materials of God's creation. And it is good to be back with you. It's Friday afternoon here in the office. Uh, there is definitely just water in this... Uh, in here, sparkling water. Uh, my shoes are on, and we are ready to go with the next chapter. <clears throat> so again, for for anyone who hasn't uh, hasn't been caught up, if this is your first time joining us, we're doing a uh, a live reading with anyone who's, who's uh, going to follow along here on uh, on Facebook Live. And we're doing a recording for an audiobook as well. So you're going to hear me, uh, if I stumble over a word and it does happen, that I'm going to go back, redo it, just so that, uh, that nobody is perplexed. That's the way that this goes. Good, comfortable position, because we're going to be here for a bit. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chapter 2. The Death of Man and the Crisis of the Social Order. Let me get down to that right now. <clears throat> but he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Proverbs 8.36 In the previous chapter, we saw that as Western culture has pursued a course away from the God of Scripture and His Word revelation, we have not ceased to worship, but have merely exchanged true worship for idolatry in sociocultural life 
from law and politics to education and art. This change has essentially been a quiet cultural revolution, the fruits of which are now being clearly manifested. In this chapter I want to analyze the present cultural decay and the existential confusion arising from our idolatrous turn. Spiritual Nihilism In the 1960s, movements began in earnest to remove scripture and prayer from public schools in the United States and Canada, striking at the vulnerable soul of the nations. <clears throat> striking at the vulnerable soul of these nations seated at small tables to learn in innocence. In Canada in 1985, under the Charter, the last vestiges of public Christian identity were abol- <clears throat> This is off to a rocky start. In Canada in 1985, under the Charter, the last vestiges of public Christianity- I Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna try that one more time, and then we're just gonna expunge it from the book. In Canada in 1985, under the Charter, the last vestiges of public Christian identity were abolished in Ontario, as the Lord's Prayer was banned from schools as unconstitutional. The result has been the steady moral neutering of two generations and the casting adrift of the human personality. It has led to the absolutization of the feeling aspect of human experience, so that now in a plastic world, I feel, therefore I am. Under the, influence of European <clears throat> Under the influence of European radicals like Michel Foucault, we have been told that there is no essential self. The human person and the human family are merely social constructs. We are what we make and define ourselves to be. In such a cosmos, even grammar and pronouns must go, since they speak of law and norms. Man is little more than artifice, and is bound by nothing outside or beyond himself. By contrast, at the foundation of a scriptural philosophy of life, we discover the most fundamental aspect of God's word revelation for granting a coherent and intelligent... <clears throat> Excuse me. By contrast, at the foundation of a scriptural philosophy of life, we discover the most fundamental aspect of God's word revelation for granting a coherent and intelligible vision of the human person. Quote, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. That's Genesis 1, 26-27. There is no parallel to this starting point anywhere else in human thought. The triune God of Scripture creates all things out of nothing, all that is distinct from himself, and makes the human person in his image, where the I, or human ego, is established as a transcendent reference point for all aspects of temporal human experience. That is to say, the human I, or heart, cannot be reduced to any single aspect of created reality. Although a part of creation, man somehow transcends nature. As Blaise Pascal so well understood, the human person is a mystery that transcends his environment, as a living, integral being, comprehensible only with reference back to the living God as the source and origin of all law, <clears throat> comprehensible only with reference back to the living God as the source and origin of all life, law, truth, and meaning. 
This unique human identity and the critically important distinction between creator and creature imply of necessity a limit to both the reach <clears throat> I snap my fingers and it puts a spike on the waveform, and if any of you are curious why I'm doing that, just so that we know where to edit it out, where, when, where to come back in. This unique human identity and the critically important distinction between creator and creature imply, of necessity, a limit to both the reach of human thought as rooted in our temporal experience and the legislative prerogatives of man. We read in the book of Ecclesiastes, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with... <clears throat> we read in the book of Ecclesiastes, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Ecclesiastes 11.5 The average person today, however, has lost sight of the true nature of man as God's creature, and fallen prey to spiritual nihilism and a world of negation that they were taught to embrace by their instructors. As the great Dutch philosopher Herman Doyeword put it regarding modern man, he has lost all faith and denies any higher ideals than the satisfaction of his desires. To him, God is dead. Modern mass man has lost himself and considers him... <coughs> modern mass man has lost himself and considers himself cast into a world that is meaningless. In the parlance of popular culture, the singer-songwriter-poet Sting gives expression to the existential rootlessness of an ailing humanity. In his 1993 hit single, If I Ever Lose My Faith in You, the narrator describes himself as a lost man in a lost world. Having lost all faith in science, progress, politics, the church, and even himself. Just who the you is, whom he continues to hold faith in, is left deliberately ambiguous. Indeed, a lost world offers no hope for a lost man, and as a result of this modern temper, there is perhaps... <clears throat> Indeed, a lost world offers no hope for a lost man, and as a result of this modern temper, there has perhaps never been a time in the past 15 centuries or more when the Western world faced a greater crisis of identity and thereby confronted so dramatically its own social and cultural ruin. Any observant and thinking Christian can see that we are a radically uprooted and dislocated generation, adrift in the world. Social and cultural philosophers, commentators, and theologians have spilt much ink seeking to trace upstream to the font of the problem, following the various tributaries of the crisis toward its common source but not all have grasped the religious character of its subterranean spring. That common source is the decline of the human personality via the apostasy of the heart from God and the consequent emergence of a mass man, that is, depersonalized, dispensable human beings, in a technocratic society where the individual strives to find himself without God. Not many perceive that our present situation is so precarious that the elegy of Western culture is on the verge of being composed. Let me just adjust my seat a little here. What is man? We see examples daily in the media of people in the grip of a radical relativism, unimaginable even 25 years ago. As abstracted and generalized people reduced to self-created group identities, 
we no longer know what a human being is. This condition has advanced to such a degree that we are essentially unsure if there are any human norms that transcend radical autonomous desire and subjective self-identification. We are not even confident of the intrinsic value of the human person made in God's image, whether pre-born, newborn, disabled, aging, sick, or despairing. Indeed, we are so fundamentally uprooted that we are no longer assured of the scientific and chromosomal reality of the binary gender distinctions of male and female, of normative human sexuality, or of the oldest institutions known to the human race, marriage and family. Our profound confusion today is such that some people are not even sure that they occupy the right age group or gender, were born into the right people group, or even gestated by the right species, since they feel like something else. No one dares to challenge these inner fictions since all that is left of the human personality is the notion that autonomous and subjective feeling has the absolute existence of God himself. As such, there is no longer a basis for differentiation of any objective kind, and thus, in a world mired in the irrational fluidity of all things, where the possibility of normative differentiation between truth and falsehood, right and wrong, reality and unreality, has collapsed. Culture has not simply reached a bump in the road, but has been sucked into a kind of vortex of democratic insanity, spiraling toward what Cornelius Van Til called disintegration into the void. <clears throat> in our disarticulated world, the vain rantings of Nietzsche's overmen who have gone beyond good and evil, declare the reasonable insane to be sick, mad, or malevolent, and demand that the voice of plain reason be silenced in the face of the cultural conjurer's reimagining of the world. The stark reality of our situation is that we are facing the death of man as man in the West. By denying, debunking, and defacing the image of God in man, we are losing our very soul. Matthew 16, 26. Jesus Christ said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Matthew sixteen twenty six. Oh, I left that in twice there in the manuscript. Okay, so take out the reference where I, uh, I read that reference the first time before the, the actual text. When iconoclastic and fractious man declares that what is left of human dignity is now rooted solely in radical autonomy from God, nope. pacing was wrong there. When iconoclastic and fractious man declares that what is left of human dignity is now rooted solely in radical autonomy from God, revelation, true human community. Okay. I get it. I'm going to try it again. This is a this is a list here. <laughs> when iconoclastic and fractious man declares that what is left of human dignity is now rooted solely in radical autonomy from God, revelation, true human community, and all familial and moral obligation, then we have realized the most fundamental atomization and depersonalization of all life. Such a society, whatever its protest to the contrary, is antisocial to the core, whilst ironically, individual responsibility for action and its consequences is passed on to an impersonal scientific society governed by statistics, bureaucracy, fashion, technology, social planning, and other dehumanizing forces.
bubbly water might have been a bad idea. The sociocultural deficit ensuing from this disaster cannot be fixed with any amount of state welfare or scientific planning. There is no technical solution to this colossal religious problem. In the state of crisis that results from the illusion of the creative freedom of selfhood, people are often deeply, inwardly afraid, even as they revel in an autonomy that finds endless social indulgence and legal sanction. People on every side are gripped by sadness, fear, guilt, and despair that no amount of psychotropic prescriptions can finally ameliorate or heal. By such methods, the fear of disintegration and death is simply suppressed. But as Doyaward rightly noted, it is uncomprehended revelation of God that fills humankind with fear and trembling. We may deny God, and man is his image-bearer pressing ahead in a suicidal course. Try that again. We may deny God and man as his image-bearer, pressing ahead in a suicidal course, but this always proves to be pure vanity, for we are surrounded inside and out by the reality of God and his order. This revelation may well be suppressed, but it is inescapable and still grips the being of every person, generating both guilt and deep disquiet. Consequently, there is no recovery for our society till we recognize that whatever our gains materially, we have lost our soul. And for this, Christ warns us that there is a reckoning, for God is not mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. Galatians 6, 7. Our only recourse is true repentance, both personal and national. Nature Religion In the meantime, our culture looks to political and indeed magical solutions to its ills, because as one, <clears throat> because as one Christian thinker puts it, quote, the truth is so intolerable to fallen humanity that even when it does take hold of people, they still seek to escape its total claims in every possible way. End quote. Into this increasingly pretentious and arrogantly overreaching world of cultural and political life, God has called Christians to be the leaven of Christ, to serve God and minister life and hope to our fellow man in the public space, if only at times through a kind of prophetic witness to those in authority. In this task, Christians must recognize that all of life, including cultural life, is shaped by the beliefs, or more properly the religious worldviews, of those who participate in it, and I have already described some of the fruits of the religious worldviews that increasingly dominate our culture. I say religious worldview because man is a worshipping being. We saw in the previous chapter that Paul makes clear in his letter to the Romans that if we refuse to worship the living Creator God, we do not cease to worship. Rather, we will worship some aspect of creation itself. Some being or thing will be absolutized. Some being or thing will be absolutized. This the Christian calls idolatry, apostasy from the true God, finding its root in the human heart and spreading out to touch everything. Before renewal of a Christian view of culture is possible, a self-conscious appreciation of the depths to which we have fallen is necessary. Today we are clearly in the grip of God's historical judgments, seen in, our <clears throat> seen in our growing adherence to very ancient beliefs dressed in new outfits. Anthropologists in the past called them manna beliefs, which lay at the foundation of the disintegration of the human personality in pagan cultures. These beliefs are characterized by a supposed fluidity of reality between the personal and impersonal, 
which is the hallmark of a nature religion, for manna is believed to be a mysterious life force that underlies everything. Millions of people in our culture, often unwittingly, pay homage to such a life force, from the yoga mat and alternative healer to the science classroom, where nature is deified as an endless stream of life that spontaneously evolved from an original mysterious point of undifferentiated absolute unity. It was such a belief that filled the ancient Greco-Roman world with dread in the face of blind fate, and so promoted the nobility of suicide, a belief re-emergent in our time. When nature itself is in various ways absolutized, culture becomes increasingly decrepit, because with all of nature being somehow an aspect of the divine, emerging from an original unity, how can real and meaningful differentiation take place at the familial, biological, ethical, artistic, juridical, moral, or even ontological level? In such a view, man and his culture is merely impermanent artifice in a mysterious fluidity. And in the post-Darwinian world that we occupy, we can no longer speak cogently or persuasively of even natural law as a moral referent in the way that the pseudo-Christian secularists of past generations did, for we no longer know what nature is. A mysterious world of chaotic forces can give no objective or transcendent law, and so all that's left to the manna world of jurisprudence is positive law, which emerges as a development of the reflective experience of the people, as Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., former Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court and leading legal thinker, argued. The obvious question is, who will interpret the reflective experience of the people and transform experience into law? Increasingly, the answer is a new elite in our courts, cut loose from accountability to God and Scripture's definition of man as God's image-bearer. Political Salvation and the New Priesthood This new elite or humanist priesthood, Plato's philosopher kings, is necessary, of course, because social chaos is not a workable political philosophy. And in a lawless world of radical autonomy, humanity needs salvation from all those fatalistic forces threatening to crush it. Increasingly, our society looks to absolutize the cultural sphere of the state as the agency that should be able to control the threat that man as an aspect of nature is to himself. It is to the state, therefore, that idolatrous man largely delegates his freedom. It naturally follows that modern... <clears throat> It naturally follows that modern political doctrine rests typically on a set of beliefs that flatly contradict what God says about humanity. It is not that our culture denies that there is evil in the world, <clears throat> but we refuse to locate that evil in the heart of man, who is thought of as inherently good and perfectible, blaming instead the environment and spheres of social order like the family, the church, and private property as well as other structures of alleged inequality that supposedly war against an original equality and unity in the human race. Fairly recently, I was a fly on the wall in a Labour Party committee meeting in the Parliament buildings in London, during which they were analysing their serious defeat in the 2016 British general election. One MP and key speaker began his presentation by saying that the core problem is that the Labour Party needs a robust return to the conviction of the essential goodness of man. This illustrated the recurrent theological-political illusion concerning the human person. People are born without sin, and so we can change people by doing away with the evil in society 
by getting back to an unspoiled condition that humanity supposedly lived in in his primitive past, a condition of absolute social equality. So, if we abolish marriage and the family, no one will be subject to hierarchy anymore, and women and children will not feel subjugated. If we eliminate binary gender norms, no one will feel oppressed by distinctions anymore. If we eliminate income inequality, no one will be greedy anymore. If we open our borders and embrace Islamists returning from fighting with ISIS and find them money and housing, they won't want to crucify and behead Christians anymore or plot against our country. In this view, human beings are perfectible by political technique, a repackaged world of magic. In this erroneous view, our unfallen nature is not fixed, but plastic. We are not... <clears throat> We are not beings made in God's image who have fallen into sin and renewed by well, skipped a line. We are not beings made in God's image who have fallen into sin and idolatry, who need to be restrained from evil by revealed moral law and renewed by Jesus Christ and God's Holy Spirit. In fact, we are so malleable that we may become transhuman or posthuman, not only by redefining ourselves, but also by evolving to merge with our own technology. This is a world of political and technocratic magic resting on mana beliefs which hold we can abolish guilt, sin, poverty, disease, indolence, ignorance, hunger, and even death itself, so long as God and man as his image-bearer can be removed as roadblocks. The key obstacle is all hierarchy, except the privilege of belonging to a new cultural elite, because the principle of hierarchy is a reminder of the distinction between man and God. In this great leveling process, God is thought to be brought down to the level of man, and man raised to the level of God. If the authority of families, parents, the church, pastors, private businesses, guilds, and associations are eroded, if there can be an abolition of all true authority outside the political elite and its legislative apparatus, which authoritatively, <clears throat> which authoritatively interprets the experience of the people, perhaps we can abolish God himself who stands behind and over all legitimate authority. Critically, centralization and massive political power must be accrued to the state to do this. This path, it's held, is true liberation for the human personality. The cultural theologian Andrew Sandlin has summarized it like this, quote, Liberals or progressives since the French Revolution have engaged in one massive liberation project, what has been called the Oppression-Liberation Nexus. The liberal religion has become one of never-ending clawing for the liberation of humanity from every tyranny, real or imagined. The secularists must be liberated from the religionists, the parishioners from the clergy, the enlightened from the unenlightened, the citizens from royalty, the poor from the rich, the workers from the capitalists, blacks from whites, women from men, wives from husbands, children from parents, debtors from creditors, employees from employers, homosexuals from heterosexuals, convicts from law-abiding citizens. And soon, if the trajectory persists, polygamists from monogamists and pedophiles from prison guards. The great liberation now extends even to non-human nature, the liberation of the environment from rapacious humanity." End quote. The social cost and destructiveness of this autonomous liberation project, led by the political priesthood, is beyond full comprehension and the welfare states of Europe and increasingly North America are now buckling under the financial reality of such a counterfeit exodus. 
If the human race had adequately learned anything by now from our historical experience, it should have been that our rejection of God and the image of God in man. Let's try that again. If the human race had adequately learned anything by now from our historical experience, it should have been that our rejection of God and the image of man... <clears throat> if the human race had adequately learned anything by now from our historical experience, it should have been that our rejection of God and the image of God in man leads to the endless defacing and destruction of that image and the steady decay of diverse cultural life as the political sphere overreaches itself to try to play a mess... <clears throat> as the political sphere overreaches itself to try to play a messianic role in people's lives. As man kills himself and his fellow man as God's image-bearer, he languishes in the ruins of a social order that cannot find a solution to its malady from within nature itself. Simply put, human beings cannot be remade or renewed by technique and will never be perfected until Christ establishes his kingdom in all its fullness. The contemporary religious illusion that the human ego had the, <clears throat> the contemporary religious illusion that the human ego has the same absolute existence as God himself is a direct succumbing to the original lie proffered to our first parents, ye shall be as gods. Genesis three five. In both seeking himself and his God in the temporal world of experience, Modern man has lost himself in the abyss, absolutizing that which is in fact relative, and thereby comprehensible only in reference back to our Creator, revealed to us in the person of Christ. This incalculable loss and radical spiritual uprooting together form the foundation of our current crisis, which presently shows no sign of abating. <clears throat> the Defining Word of God In clear contrast to contemporary political illusions, Scripture tells us that the human eye, or person, is nothing in and of itself, but truly lives only in reference to the creative power and defining word of God. Indeed, true knowledge of ourselves is dependent, as John Calvin made clear, on true knowledge of God. The foundation of all true knowledge of God is right relationship with God, in short, the love of God. The first commandment is to love the Lord our God with heart, mind, soul, and strength. Deuteronomy 6.5, Matthew 22.37 And since God is to be so wholeheartedly loved, his image-bearers will of necessity be loved also, which is the second commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Nowhere in the Christian view can such love lead to the destruction of that image in gender-fluid confusion, the redefinition of God's creational institution of marriage, or the murder of our neighbor in the womb, or, in the name of autonomy and dignity, in age, sickness, or despair. The simple truth is that without love for God and a recognition of his word revelation to us in Christ and in Scripture, we are not only unable truly to love our neighbor, we cannot even identify them truly. We find, in fact, that we cannot answer a most elementary question. What is a person? Herman Doyaward cuts to the heart of the matter, quote, The question, what is man, who is he, cannot be answered by man himself. However, it has been answered by God's word revelation, which uncovers the religious root and center of human nature in its creation, fall into sin, and redemption by Jesus Christ. Man lost true self-knowledge when he lost the true knowledge of God. 
but all idols of the human selfhood, which man in his apostasy has devised, break down when they are confronted with the word of God, which unmasks their vanity and nothingness. It is this word alone which by its radical grip can bring about a real reformation of our view of man and of our view of the temporal world. End quote. In possession of this word, and with it a true knowledge of God and the human person, we are then able to pursue and build true culture and true community. With a transcendent referent for life and thought, political and cultural reality can proceed faithfully in their various spheres, grounded in a true understanding of the life of humankind. The true word reveals that human beings are not merged with divinity, a primitive life force where law and social order are merely an emergent property of nature, manifest through man and where history must be <clears throat> the true word reveals that human beings are not merged with divinity, a primitive life force where law and social order are merely an emergent property of nature manifest through man and where history must be captured by the man-gods to create a world community, the parliament of man. That idolatrous vision requires coerced collectivization in an attempt to realize community, but in the process only undermines both true community and the individual. As one cultural theologian notes, the more social distinctions are denied, the more force is required in society to bring men together, and the more force prevails in a society, the less communion. In the Christian view, true community and communion in the Christian view, true community and communion rest on an inner bond, the grace of God and then loyalty to God and his life and freedom-bringing word. In pursuit of a true and beautiful cultural life, we are dependent upon God's grace and the working of his spirit as we seek to oppose and defeat an apostate and destructive religious worldview that is ruining countless lives. We are called in this task to love and thoughtful obedience, and we can be confident of victory in the long run in the battle. <clears throat> And we can be confident of victory in the long run in this battle, because an apostate culture of death has no future against the Lord of life. We must continue to serve the cause of Christ to the best of our ability, praying for those in authority, seeking the good of our fellow men, prophetically witnessing against idolatry in its varied forms and pursuing righteousness, truth, beauty, and justice in every sphere of life. We will not always be loved for this stand, but this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith. 1 John 5.4 Sorry, 1 John 5.4 With an apostate heart, for almost a century our culture has been progressively pursuing the death of man as man, that is, as God's image-bearer, and so we are surrounded by dead men, dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1-5 But the Lord Jesus Christ assures us, that an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. John 5.25 Jesus Christ is life. This is our confidence. All right. Thanks, guys. That was, uh, what chapter was that? Two, I guess. Was it one? Let's find out. Chapter two. The death of man and the crisis of the social order. You can get this book at ezrapress.ca. Today is uh, October 18th. Everything at the Ezra Press online store is on sale. It's been on sale all week. The sale ends tonight at midnight. 
if you go there uh, in the next few hours, you'll be able to get uh, Gospel Culture and pretty much every other title uh, in the store there for 25% off. That's the Canadian Thanksgiving sale. It's at EzraPress.ca. Do go there and pick up the book, get some great deals. I hope you've enjoyed this time, and we will uh, we will see you again soon. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.